Hi, my name is Michelle Fiordaliso, and I'm the co-host of The When Is Now. Fritzi Horseman is the founder and executive director of Compassion Prison Project. Her program gained great awareness in early 2020 when her video, Step Inside the Circle, about incarcerated people's childhood trauma went viral. It's been viewed over two and a half million times to date. After a successful career as a producer on dozens of television projects and documentaries, her work earned her a Grammy for The Defiant Ones. Hi, Fritzy. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Zora. We're so happy to have you on the show today. And we're very enthusiastic to be talking about you and about the Compassion Prison Project and just your take on life and anything that you want to share with us. So I know we'd love to just hear the story of how you got started, how the Compassion Prison Project got started, because this was, from what I understand, not your lifelong passion. Correct. I used to be a film producer and uh, sometimes director and sometimes writer. And in 2018, in September, I was invited to visit a prison in the middle of nowhere in California. Actually, it's in the heart of California. And unbeknownst to me, I would deposit my heart in that place. So I went, I walked into Kern Valley State Prison with a bunch of other volunteers with Kat Hoke and her program called Hustle 2.0, which is about bringing uh, entrepreneurial skills to the men and women living in prison. And I had these ideas, you know, I'm going to meet some prisoners and, you know, maybe they're not such great people. And that thought and my preconceived notions were immediately dispersed the second I I walked into a little like greeting tunnel of men yelling welcome and cheering as I walk through a hundred men. And the next thing I know, I'm talking to them and um, I'm asking them what got them in prison, which I don't think you're supposed to do, but I just was blazingly like, so why are you here? What, what the hell happened? And, and were they forthright with you? Yeah, they were kind of taken aback, but mostly they told me what was going on. And most of them were there for murder. I was in a maximum security prison. And but the, as I started digging deeper that morning, I found out that most of them had unimaginable trauma, unimaginable trauma and childhood trauma. The one that sticks out to me, which will haunt me for the rest of my life, is this young man, Deshaun. And uh, he, his father tried to drown him in a bathtub when he was 10. And you could see that his soul had recessed, or I don't, I don't even know how to explain it, but it's like the same thing when you see someone who's on heroin. There's just, they're just way back in their skull. Like there's almost no access to their divine essence. And, you know, I, I'm so excited at the idea of seeing Deshaun again, because I, I just want to bring him more love. And that's, and that's what I did that day. And I said to Kat, when are we coming back? And she said in six months. And um, I couldn't wait until March to see them again. And I was like, and I knew I wouldn't see all of them, but I decided I would start a, I'm about to cry just thinking of Deshaun. Um, mm-hmm. I knew I had to go back. So in January, 2019, I walked in with a ridiculous program called um, the Compassion Prison Project. I did a little curriculum 
about kindness and compassion. And it was a 14 week course. I should show it to you one day. We'll, we'll, we'll send it to the Smithsonian <laughs> if they care. <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. And it got me in the door and, you know, I haven't looked back since, but the thing is prisons are a place where we can bring our love and we can bring our, our skills and our, our, our genius. So we can see them bring their skills and their genius to the world. It's, it's probably the greatest place to find out who you are, how it's where it's, I've had a, you know, epiphany after epiphany walking in there every, every third Saturday. What have you discovered about yourself? That's such an interesting thing that you're saying about that. It is one of the places where you can find out the most about yourself. What have, what have you discovered about yourself? Well, I've discovered that we're all connected in, in a way that is, um, that society doesn't really want to share society. I think I've learned about the trauma that's on the outside mirrors the trauma that's on the inside of prisons. When you dive into the stories of the men and women that are on death row, they've endured the worst trauma of any, every, any man on this planet. You know, instead of saying you're a condemned man, you know, say, okay, what happened in the past is unimaginable. And let's try and find out the root of this. I don't remember who said it, but it's not what's wrong with you. It's what happened to you. That's the question we have to start asking. And, um, and that's the same with us. There's nothing wrong with us. It's like, what happened to us? You know, I have seven adverse childhood experiences, those called ACEs. So I, you know, a lot of bad things happened to me and my behavior in the world, you know, verged, it was criminal. I had, I had criminal behavior just like the men and women that I'm serving now. I, you know, I, I would have my friends go shoplifting. I would say, go in there and steal some ice cream. I was the leader. I was the leader of some bad girls in, a, in was it ninth grade? I wanted to be part of a gang. There was a gang called the Go Club in, in the village in New York City. And it was, it was these Italian and Irish boys. And I just was like, I want to be part of that gang. But that impulse to want to belong is on every street in America. And, you know, all boys, boys naturally gravitate to gangs. And if they're, they could be a gang of good or a gang of destruction. Mm-hmm. And when that testosterone going through, you know, guns are fun. You know, this is all exciting. And, and so this energy needs to be funneled and we've lost those rites of passage. Um, and, you know, gangs are like rites of passage. They're, they're, they feel right to a young, a young man. So I had a question for you based on, I guess, your reflections on, on the impact of, of being incarcerated and how we've sort of deposited shame in that space. I think that's a really insightful way of looking at it. And um, I guess I'm curious about your thoughts on prisons in general. Like I, I read Angela Davis's book, Are Prisons Obsolete? And that sort of completely radicalized me um, and made me just fully uh, against the concept of even having this system. So I guess I'm curious based on your your work. What what are your thoughts on 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 prisons in general? Well, my vision for prisons right now is, 
I said six months ago, all prisons become healing centers in three years. So we have two and a half years in my mind. All prisons become healing centers. I do believe that there are people in the world that shouldn't be out in public. That should there are sociopaths that don't there's something happened to their brain where they're not able to function in society. Mm-hmm. But I do not believe they need to be tortured or demeaned or dehumanized or fed crap, which was what we're doing to 2.3 million people. Right. I, it's going down. It's going a little bit down. But I think I agree with Angela Davis. Prisons really are obsolete if we can create a way to embrace the harm that has been done. Because trauma, not only are the men and women in prison the most traumatized people in the world, but the acts that they commit have traumatized members in the community. And those harms need to be addressed and embraced and metabolized. And so you can't just you can't just abolish a system, but you can yes, you can abolish a system, but you can't just immediately say, okay, no more no more prisons. I think we have to say healing centers and restorative justice. What I'm seeing in the world is the communities where the most crime happens is so traumatized that these communities can't even they can't even function just on a day-to-day basis, men and women that are acting out, reenacting the traumas that were perpetrated on them. When you dehumanize a, a young little kid, they don't see themselves as having value or worth and or hope. And when they're triggered, I mean, and that's my point is trauma is actually an unconscious act. It is an immoral For the most part, I mean, there are sociopaths, but for the most part, when you are triggered, at least in my experience and what I'm learning from the science, you know, when I'm, someone cuts me off on the freeway and I'm freaking out, I freak out, but I don't even know where this comes from. I don't even know. And I, I'm learning now that it's my body. My body is saying, you are in jeopardy. This SOB has threatened you what are you going to do about it and it's you either fight or you f- or you flee and i was trained as a little girl that i fight that's what my family does the only way i would be heard and the only way the the madness would stop is if i took my trauma to the level of my mother and my sister my father was an alcoholic and he was just he was just weighed down you know trying to escape from he was fleeing we fought and he fl- he fled. He fled in alcohol. He fled in depression. My mother was, she was adopted as a little girl into an insane sharecropper's family. And when you're a child, in order to survive in a traumati- traumatizing household, you choose attachment. So you give up your your true self so that you can be loved or you can be at least fed. We're all doing what we're told unconsciously and and we're doing it so that we can be loved. So we've denied our instincts, our divinity, our kindness, our love so that we can survive. And that's that's what we're doing, you know, we're doing not wearing masks or wearing masks. That's what we're doing 
you know, voting against our own interests because we think this is what will get us love. We're all brainwashed. We're all of us are brainwashed, but we're doing it because we believe this is how we will be loved. And, but when we get in touch with our authentic selves, we know deep down that we're all connected. And that's, that's what silence does. And that's what, when we stop feeding our addictions, when we just slow down and listen, we can feel the connection that we all have, that we're all connected. And, you know, advertising companies don't want us to feel that connection. They want us to go out and, and buy the next weird thing. I mean, what are what kind of stuff have we bought? Look at the plastic that is all, all over this, this country. Like, you know, I just see little pieces of crap on my walks. Like, oh my gosh. And this is just from a sense of not being whole. Um, once we're whole, you know, all we want is a great meal, a good walk, a laugh with our families. I don't even think we want Netflix, honestly. I really don't. I mean, that's just another, you know, piece of plastic that we're being fed, honestly. I mean, I I watch Netflix when I want to check out, when I've just had it. We're all, this is a dissociated nation. We're just... We don't want to feel anything. We're just cut our heads are we're just walking heads. We don't know how we feel. We don't want to know how we feel. We're drinking, we're buying, we're we're oh my god, we're scrolling. TikTok. We're scrolling, <laughs> we're TikToking. I mean, what is this? We're YouTubing, we're like we're tweeting, you know, anything to stop feeling this this assault that we've all been through emotionally, this collective assault. And it, it comes from, and that's the thing is we haven't dealt with the pains and the the traumas of how our nation was born, the slavery, the genocide, Jim Crow, the lynchings, all of this, this annihilation of ourselves. It's not just African-Americans. It's not just Native Americans. It's ourselves. It's our. It's the white people. We've annihilated ourselves because what you do to other people, you do to yourself. There is no other. There is nothing, nothing separating us except for except for our trauma. That's it. Gabor Mate says, trauma is a loss of self. Because when we wake up and we realize what we've done, which is I believe is what's happening. When we believe what, when we realize what we've done, we're going to be like, we got to stop this. I mean, and that's, I, I think I'm kind of waking up because I'm like, we got to stop this, this prison thing. And prison is the darkest place, but it's also the lightest. It's got the most light because the contrast is so, is so stark. When you see a, a man in prison smile or in my, in one of my experiences, one of the men he was sharing with the group. He says, I got something to say. I just put in my file that I reject my DNR. I want to live. I want you to resuscitate me if something goes wrong. And before he was like, yeah, just who cares? And now he cares. And, and I, look at our, I look at Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell, and they're both not connecting. And that's what we need is we need Mitch McConnell and Nancy Pelosi to work it out and just to sit in a room and say, okay, I love you and you love me. Let's, 
let's make that the foundation and let's figure out how because when they when they figure it out then we have a chance but you know they're just like two they're like 3 year olds they're both 3 year olds well that that speaks to the uh Fritzy I know you've talked about that we need to create a trauma aware society uh because I think what we don't understand is the the physiological effect of trauma is that when the fear center of your brain, the amygdala is activated and you are in fear, flight, or freeze, that the prefrontal cortex uh, that, that creates rational thinking goes offline. So when people are triggered by fear, there is no logic. There is no reason. They're not, they're not making a conscious do- choice to kill, to yell, to rip up documents on national television, you know, whatever the case may be, they are acting from the, the, from the amygdala, from the fear center of their brain. So how do we get people, and you sort of touched on this earlier in terms of the correctional officers are, are traumatized, police officers are traumatized, politicians are traumatized, we're all traumatized. So how do we get people to wake up and realize it's not just incarcerated people that are traumatized, it's all of us. Well, and one more thing to add to that, it's the moral center. The prefrontal cortex knows what's good and bad. And ask anyone, should I kill this person or should I not? And they'll say yes, but if they're triggered, it's like being blind drunk. And I believe our our president is functioning only from his amygdala. You know, it's a fear, it's fear driven. He's he wants to stay in office. So whatever it takes, he doesn't care. He's not thinking. He's at, he's just doing, you know, what his lizard brain is telling telling the world. And wait, what was your question? Because like, I really wanted to get that moral piece well, how, out. How do we No, I think that that's so important. And I'm, I'm glad that you shared that because I think that's a misconception that we think somebody, when they kill somebody, when they beat their kid, when they steal something that they're saying, oh, I'm going to do this, that it's a conscious right. decision and it's not. Um, and that's the first thing I think that we need to get, that it is that we are operating from an animal instinct, not from morality, not from reason. But the question that I had for you is how do we get people to wake up and realize that we as a nation, particularly, but this affects people all over the world, have numbed ourselves, we have failed to look at our own trauma, and that this is the connective fiber that will make us realize our connection and will also give us access to life and joy. And, and the rest of our body. People, yeah, mm-hmm. and the rest of our body. How do we get people to wake up and realize what a critical component uh, this trauma piece is? Well, and well, two things that just popped into my mind. The first thing is go to my website, compassionprisonproject.org and take the ACE test, the Adverse Childhood Experiences test. Um, Even if you haven't had an adverse childhood experience, you've had some kind of trauma. We're all traumatized. Just being living in the United States, we're absorbing this collective trauma. But take that Or you had a parent that had a high ACE score, which will have affected you. Well- I'm pretty sure for the most most people who've had parents that have a high ACE score, unless these people are extremely um, evolved, you've experienced one or two ACEs. I mean, just having a divorce in 
uh, separation or divorce. That's, that's one of the aces. And to live in that, that conflict zone of the mother and father, um, dehumanizing each other because that's what happens inevitably unless you do conscious uncoupling which you know I don't know how anybody (laughs) does that but when you're in that you're in a you're in a war zone and as a child you can't separate yourself from you actually that that war zone is you're part of that war zone you don't have a sense of separation you don't have you don't know that this animosity isn't about you 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 internalize it and you are suddenly you're annihilated just like your mother and father and what happens is the gray matter in your brain actually decreases you actually have less brain power than you would if you were living in a functioning household so when you're when you have more and more aces the amount of toxic stress that you're you're dealing with um the cortisol the the um, all the adrenaline, all those chemicals that run through your body, which are good when you're in fight or flight, when you're when you're getting out of there, or when you're facing your um, attacker, when your body is going has those chemicals going through it all day long, every day for you know your entire childhood. Not only does your brain matter reduce you're not able to learn you're not able to function in on any social cap- capacity and so these these chemicals that flood your body are really just you know they're creating a, just a system of of violence i mean the 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 violence and you go to rage you go to rage you go to annihilating other people because that's all you know and so, I mean, we got to just take it down. We got to take it all down. And um, one of the things we're doing at the Compassion Prison Project is creating a toolbox for the men and women, a healing toolbox for them to start taking taking this down. The thing about being in prison, though, it's a dangerous, mostly it's a dangerous place as well. So, uh, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to take it down too much that you want them to be alert. But the only way we can heal is if we can create safe environments. I sort of trip out a little bit on this notion that, you know, I, I spent so much time, Fritzi, reading uh, the writings of, incar- of incarcerated people that you worked with. And I was so blown away by how insightful they are and um, spiritual and shamans and uh, everything. And I just, I wonder what this sort of statement makes you think what ways are incarcerated people more free than people in the free world and what and in what way are people in the free world more imprisoned than people in prisons holy moly <laughs> well i think we've spent the entire podcast talking about how we're we are in prisons because we we don't know how to get into our body so you know we've incarcerated our entire, all of our feeling. We have no feeling left. We don't know how to feel what, um, what's true. In this little solitary confinement cell. Exactly. In our heads. Exactly. Um, because once we start feeling, we'll know something's really wrong. The freedom of the men in prison and the women in prison is they don't have, they don't have to buy into anything. The only thing they've bought into is that they're 
a lot of them have bought into that they're worthless. Um, but they don't have to buy into what we're being fed. I mean, I think that's one, one of the gifts of being in prison is you really, and you have time, you have time to be in that silence. Um, and time is different in prison. It's, it has a different quality and I don't even know how to explain it, but you can feel with them. There's a, it's more amorphous. It doesn't, we're, they're not constricted by time, but they're also, it's kind of, there is nothing to do. There is no, there's nothing to do. So, I mean, imagine that. I mean, that's a prison in itself, but it's also a freedom if you, if you, if you can grok it, cause you have that time to really tap into the, all of us. If you, if you make that choice. Well, we've all been given a little bit of that during this COVID quarantine, yeah. the ability to be more than do. Yeah. And what's so nice right now, there's like a, with Compassion Prison Project, there's like a quiet coming. Finally, it's like a quiet. So it's so nice. It's like, oh yeah, I can just be again, which is, I was starting to be, and then the video hit. And then I got, I got into my head again and I got into my head and I was like, ah, I got to do, I got to prove myself. I'm not worthy of all this attention, which was an interesting thing to observe. And then, cause I am as big as all of us. We're as big as the universe, and right. that's the thing. You know, we're the we're the star in the universe that is the universe. So you look at the stars, and you don't you know you don't separate it out like oh look at that one star. We look at it's it's all of it, right? You just feel the immensity of it all. It's so nice to see the immensity of you two, you three actually, Jack included. <laughs> That's what's exciting, though, is what is possible. What is what is possible when we realize how incredible we are? I mean, I'm sure you know that quote, uh, the quote of, it's a Mexican proverb, actually, but the, they tried to bury me. What they didn't know was they were planting seeds. And I think it just seems like a number of people, including your parents, have tried to annihilate you. And even these incarcerated people have been literally, uh, un, you know, people tried to literally annihilate them when you talk about Deshaun, uh, you know, and his father trying to drown him in the bathtub. Um, and yet here you are stronger than ever. And, yes. and here these other people in prison are stronger than ever when they say, I want to live. I don't want a DNR. Yes. Uh, yes. And you know, what a beautiful proverb, just seeds are being planted. Fritzy, I'm so, so grateful. This conversation, I mean, I knew we were going to have an amazing conversation with you, but it far exceeded anything I imagined. The One Is Now is co-hosted by Michelle Fiordaliso and Zora Alunga-Reed. It's produced in Los Angeles, California by Jack Zager. The next free 21-day coaching program begins on September 14th. Use it to find your purpose in our changing world by signing up on thewhenisnow.com. You'll also find complete show notes there. Thank you for listening, and remember, the when is now.